It's an honor to speak to you tonight. This is actually my first time in Young Adults, so it's a privilege, and I've enjoyed it very much just the few moments I've been here. I, uh, as you already know, some of you don't know me, so my name is Chris Barber. The reason you probably don't know me is because 95% of the time when I'm in this church, I'm in the basement over there with about approximately 100 young people who are my absolute life. They're my burden. They're, they consume all of my heart. Some of the greatest, most talented, most intelligent young people are just a few yards away from us, worshiping the Lord even now. So, uh, But it's an honor to be here with you tonight to uh, preach the word of God. I feel humbled and privileged. Thank you, Brother Lopez, for uh, the invitation and your ministry. You're a fine man of God. Uh, I, I respect you very much. You're a sincere person. I've listened to uh, your teaching and preachings and actually many teachings and preachings through the uh, Young Adults podcast. What an, what an awesome thing and uh, blessing that is. So that being said, thank you, Brother Barkus. I know you're in leadership here. Thank you for all the leaders and young ministers here tonight. So you may be seated tonight. Now, this is a different kind of message for me. I've told Brother Noling, which let me thank Brother Noling uh, from behind the pulpit. I, I came to the church uh, and received the Holy Ghost my senior year of high school. I was 18 years old, and it was a new thing for me, and I didn't have any friends here. I did have family, but I didn't have many uh, young people. I didn't have any uh, acquaintances, and I knew I would go back and pray for the Holy Ghost each and every Sunday morning and night, each and every Bible study, I think was on Thursday nights then, and uh, there was never a time that I was back there tearing for the Holy Ghost that my good friend and brother, Mike Noling, wasn't there, so I appreciate him very much tonight. So I just want to give him honor. Thank you for being a brother to me, and uh, thank you for being a good Christian and an example in my life. So I'm going to take my text tonight, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. We're going to start there and kind of leave it a little bit and then come back to it. And it says, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. In other words, they failed to do something extremely important in a walk with God, and they failed to give him thanks. But they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Tonight, I want to talk about truth, Lord. If I could title my sermon tonight in just the next few moments uh, to kind of give a summary, I would say that I would like to call this message Truth, Lord. Now, it's important to praise the Lord. Amen. We know that. That's basic Pentecost. We're known for our exuberant and passionate uh, and loud sometimes worship. Sometimes people, a visitor might even say it's unusual, but to us, it's home. To us, it's who we are. To us, it's in a way who defines us almost. We get excited about the presence of God. And worship is an important thing in everybody's life. But when we fail to thank God and take the time out of our day to give him the proper thanks that he deserves, it is detrimental to our relationship with God. And in here we can see they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. There is a result of falling away from a proper worship-filled life with God, and it is darkness. And it goes on in Romans and talks about all the perverted things, and they were given over to a reprobate mind. But this was all a result, I believe, of a ploy of the devil. Now I want to take just a time out here and kind of illustrate the way that I think that the devil tries to attack us. You know, it's, it's wise to understand how your enemy is going to pursue you. I think it's wise to understand and take the time to figure out how exactly did the children of Israel not send spies, 
right? Many generals and army captains have been victorious in battle because they understood what they were coming up against. They didn't go into battle blindly, but they took the time and had the wisdom and knowledge to say, I don't just want to go out swinging. I want to know exactly what I'm coming up against. Football coaches, basketball coaches are paid big dollars to understand and watch video reels and highlights and clips to understand exactly what LeBron James's favorite move is, exactly how Peyton Manning or uh, I would say Tom Brady in this circumstance, how he's going to throw the ball, what his favorite receiver is, what he likes to do in this situation and that situation. And that's how they become victorious. That's why Peyton Manning is as successful as a sports icon because he takes the time to study what the defense is going to do. It is good and wise to take time in our life to set it aside and say, I want to understand exactly what I can expect from the devil. And the word of God gives us many illustrations and many times that kind of gives us an indication as to how he prefers to creep his way into our lives. Now, I see young people on the front row here. I see babies. I see all ages of children. But I don't think that the children here are old enough to try this trick yet. But you know, pay attention because it's just right around the corner. I work with youth, like I've said, and I've seen this trick pulled many times. Many times, and it's amazing to me because parents, each time I see it get ready to happen, Brother Kilman, you better listen up to this part too or take notes or something here because I know Joel's going to give you a run for your money, literally. Uh, they, they pull this trick. Two weeks, in a couple weeks, we're getting ready to go to Indiana Beach uh, at a She's for Christ fundraiser, and we, a portion of the ticket uh, funds go to She's for Christ. It's an awesome thing. And I can just guarantee you, the young people, when they're being dropped off to get on the bus, they're going to go up to their parents, and they're going to say to them, Mom, Dad, can I get five bucks, right? Like, so I, I need a little money. Food isn't free. I'm not just going to, you know, rummage through. The, I just need five bucks. And before Mom or Dad can get to their wallet or get back to the car to wherever the money is, uh, they try this. They say, well, you know, actually, Tim, you know, it's kind of expensive. The economy's bad. F- the cost of flour or hot dogs has gone up just a little bit. So you might want to give me 10 bucks just to be safe. Before the end of this routine, this, you know, kind of dance that they do, and I'm sitting here watching it just like, man, you, I, surely you've been through this a time or two before, Mom or Dad, but it's almost like it's the very first time over and over again. Before the end of it, some of these young people and their cunning and sly ways have walked away with 50 bucks cold hard cash tax-free That's a lot of guacamole. Young people just know how to do it. Now, mom or dad, you know that if your young person came up to you and said, can I get 50 bucks? Right away, you'd say, no, get away, go get a job, get a life, get a car, walk to work. I don't care what you got. I'm not giving you money doesn't grow on trees, right? All the cliches. But young people know that in order to get what they want to get, they need to start small. There's a saying that says once the camel can get his snout into the bottom of the tent, it's only a matter of time before his whole body's in there with you. And that's the way I believe the devil tries to attack. If we look at, and I I hate to go from an illustration about young people to uh, addictions of sorts, but it always seems to start small someplace. The drug addict doesn't start going straight many times. Now, not every time, but many times. They don't start going straight to cocaine or heroin or these dark, uh, oppressive drugs. They start small with something that they feel and their friends convince them to be relatively harmless. Marijuana, they start there, and then they go on to deeper things and deeper things, and it's like the snowball effect. And before long, they're full-blown wasting all their paycheck. They've lost their lives. They've lost their families. They've lost their homes just because they started someplace that they thought was going to be insignificant and minimal. And before long, they've wasted everything in their life to appease the lusts of their flesh. Now, I believe the devil attacks this way. The devil is cunning. We shouldn't cut, you know, uh, take him for granted in his power and his cunning ways. And we can study the word of God and learn that the devil too attacks in increments. 
He doesn't just start with rebelling against God and rebelling against your pastor. He starts someplace small. If we look at Adam and Eve, he, he was subtle to Eve, and he appealed to the lusts of her carnality, and he didn't explain to Eve that she was going to be expelled from the garden. He, didn't, he failed to mention to Eve that she was going to be rebelling completely against God, and she would be cursed, and she would enter sin into the human race. He didn't explain all those things, but he said, your eyes will be opened. It's minimal, Eve. It's not a big deal. And she looked at the fruit, and she said, well, this is, does look good to eat. And she began to reason with herself. The devil always appeals to our reason, and he starts someplace small. Jesus wasn't asked to bow to the devil right away, was he, when he was carried away? It started small. He said, just perform this minor miracle. Then he took him up to a pinnacle, and he said, cast yourself down and let the angels catch you. But then he went even higher. He progressed even higher before, and that's when he said, bow to me. Bow to him. It started someplace small. The devil always starts someplace small. He takes time. He's, he's, he's cunning and sly. And when we think and we're expecting a nuclear bomb of sin to go off in our life and we're expecting a great army to be coming and we're going to be able to see the temptation of the devil a mile away, oftentimes he's sneaking up behind us like a, a wolf in lamb's clothes. We don't even see it come. It's right there beside us and we're not paying attention because we're waiting for something great to happen because we don't anticipate and study the ways of his attack. It's wise to know, to take the time to think about what the devil is going to do and how he is going to take us away from the grace and mercy of God. Not to get too uh, childish here, and I know I've been using stories that are, are commonplace in, in comic books for our Sunday school class, but they're relevant even today, even to young adults. Daniel and the lion's den. Now, I was reading this story, and I taught Sunday school to our young people about this story uh, this past Sunday. And I've been reading it over and over again, in fact, and I know it's something that I should have memorized by now, but I just, could, I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And I wondered, why didn't they ever try to uh, eliminate praise and prayer to God altogether? Why was it just 30 days? Why was it just 30 days? Now, I believe these, these princes and these presidents over the nations, the 120 that came against Daniel, wanted his position because as man, you know, we want the, the good job, the good car, all the guacamole so that we can pay our kids off apparently. We, we need to make a certain amount of money just to support our family. So we, we, we envy those who are above us in many, stance, in many circumstances. And this world is filled with men who just want to get higher. They just want to get greater. They just want to make more money. They just want to have more power, more authority, and they'll stop at nothing to get it. So these men, of course, you know the story very well. They came against Daniel, and they said, well, we can't find any fault in this man. This is a righteous, holy man, so we must create a way to bring him down. Now, why didn't they say we must eliminate praise altogether? Because they had to start small. Now, while these men just wanted his position, which the thing about greed and envy is, I wonder what these 120 men who were coming against Daniel thought they were going to do once they got rid of him, because certainly somebody else would have had to take his position, then you're just going to knock that guy off, and it's just like musical chairs at that point, but people don't think about it. They get consumed with the lust of their flesh. They don't think rationally and logically, and the devil takes uh, advantage of that, and he, and he leads us astray from the Lord. So he started someplace small. Now, while these men wanted Daniel's position, I believe the devil had another motive. He was like, if I can start someplace small and trick Daniel the praiser into stopping his praise even for a season, I can destroy his soul. 
While these men wanted his position, his stature, his money, his fame, the devil wanted nothing more than to add his soul to his trophy case. The devil knew that if I can stop their praise for a season, his vain imagination and his foolish heart will be darkened. I can destroy Daniel if I just stop him for a season. But he understood Daniel was a man who praised continually. He prayed continually. He was a devout man who was faultless before the Lord. So he knew he had to just start someplace small. Daniel would have never gone for permanent abolishing of praise. Daniel would have never gone for uh, uh, forever having to forsake Jehovah Jireh. He would have never done that. And the devil understood that. So he thought, if I just sneak up on Daniel, if I just take the time to to, uh, uh, trick Daniel, if I just take a subtle way, if I just take my time here with Daniel, I believe that I can get him to be destroyed. He started someplace small. He wanted to restrict Daniel's praise. Amen. And that's exactly what's happening in this world today. People are trying to pass legislation. People are trying to use intimidation. People are trying to do whatever they can to stop the praises of the church. People don't want to hear the name of Jesus anymore. People don't want to hear preachers behind pulpits anymore. People don't want to hear anything that's going to conflict with the lust of their flesh So they try to stop the praise from going up. They think if we can just try and pass enough rules and regulations, we can stop the preaching. We can stop the choirs. We can stop the grace. We can stop the mercy. And we can destroy the church. we got to start someplace small. So they have. 20 to 30 years ago, two Harvard graduates put together a manual to push agendas. And I'm trying to be... uh, minded of the, the fact that we have youth here tonight. So they tried to push their agendas. And Proposition 8 is something, so I'm trying to talk in code here. Are we picking up the, are you with me? Okay. Proposition 8. They, they said we got to start small. What we have to do is focus on ways to get, to get like the average American family. If we can just establish likeness with them and creep into their living room, then they're never going to be able to stop us. We'll be able to pump agenda. We'll be able to pump whatever, whatever we want, whatever type of sin and filth into their life. But first, we have to take our time. They were deliberate. They put together a manual. These are geniuses. These are psychologists. These were people who uh, were sociologists. They put together this manual that was really not to give them, glo- but so profound because it was so simple. If we start small, it's only a matter of time before we can take over. And look at things now today. Look at the wickedness of the world. Everything's upside down. I, I talk oftentimes to my two grandparents back there uh, about how they grew up. And the barbers, my grandpa brother Barber is here. And I talk to them. I'm like, was it like this when you were growing up? They were like, absolutely not. Could you see the way the world was going to be when you were growing up as a kid? And everybody is shocked at the way things are now. Because they started small. This world is perverse. It's upside down. It's unnatural. And it's an abomination in many ways. Can I just talk about stories? Now, I wanted to print out these articles. I didn't have time. So I apologize for not being able to give proper uh, documentation and and citation of sources here. So please forgive me for that. But if you do want these, uh, I know I probably have them uh, in my desk or in my nightstand. So I can provide this to you if you want to proof or keep this for, uh, you know, your own study time or things like that. But there's a story of a young fourth grader who was disciplined, almost expelled from school because he had a Bible in his backpack. How ridiculous is that? He wasn't in his, he wasn't standing up on top of the, the, uh, the lunch table preaching the gospel. He just had a Bible in his backpack. And somebody found out, one of the students found out, went and told a teacher. And for whatever reason, that was worthy of reprobation. That was worthy to uh, uh, try and get him expelled because he had a Bible. A fourth grader, a child 
had a Bible in his backpack. There was a college student who was reprimanded and is uh, trying to uh, appeal his expulsion because he was writing a paper and because he did not agree that the homosexual lifestyle is okay because of his morality and beliefs and Christians and in this book, in this truth, in this holy message, because he f- would not yield and bow and stop his praise, they said, well, we will expel you. I know that you're in your senior year in your last semester, and I know you've got a career ahead of you, and you're obviously an intelligent person, but that doesn't matter to us because we are out to silence your praise. And I wish people knew about stories overseas. We don't hear about it too much. We hear about where Michelle Obama's going on vacation, and we hear about all these other things, uh, and it's like all the news has just turned into the acquire. I don't even know if it's true or not anymore. But I wish that we heard about these stories where we've got people converting from Islam and converting to Christianity, and they're being treated like no better than dogs. There's a young lady who was tied to a tree out front by her parents, by her flesh and blood, because she converted to Christianity, and she was an embarrassment to the family. So they said, well, a response to this is, we're going to tie her out to a tree and neighbors would come by and throw rocks at her and they would insult her and they would beat her and they would travail and they would just uh, uh, try to do nothing but to hurt her and harm her because she believed in the name of Jesus Christ and the police knew about this humanitarians knew about this but they couldn't do anything because the Islam said if you help this person we will end you we will end you intimidation they tried to silence the praise And of course, in Indonesia, I believe it's Indonesia right now, there's people who have been in established churches. They've got church buildings and structures. And now there's people who say, we don't want you preaching this gospel. And they're beating them and they're tearing down churches and they're showing up when they're trying to have prayer meetings. And they're, they're literally torturing these people. And nobody's doing anything about it. We don't hear anything about it because people are trying to silence the praise of his people. And I wish somebody knew that our taxpayer dollars were going into these liberal cities like San Francisco and New York City. And man, is this okay? Can I just talk about this for a second? To, to display art exhibits that profane the name of Jesus. There are, there are filthy images of my Savior, the God who died on the cross for my sins, doing un, unmentionable things with Mary and with John. And there's, there's artists, and I've witnessed this. I went when I was in high school to an art exhibit, and I saw some man defiling the Bible, tearing it to pieces, burning it, spitting on it, doing, again, unmentionable things to the Word of God. And nothing is being done about it. But if we so much as mention anything about unholiness and unrighteousness and filthiness behind the pulpit, we're in danger of being thrown in jail for hate speech. Oh, Jesus. They're trying to do nothing more than silence the praise of the preacher, to silence the praise of the saints, to silence the praise of the choir, to silence the praise of the believer, to silence the praise of the redeemed. And we're looking for this nuclear bomb of sin to go off in our life when all of a sudden the camel's halfway in our door, the camel's halfway in our tent. Now, i got to be honest with you. I, I, I do write my politicians. I don't know what good it does and this isn't a, I'm not trying to be political here I just don't know what do good it does but I'm still going to try but I don't know what to do but beyond that but I know what the devil's trying to do and I really felt convicted about this and I really broke down in prayer driving today and, uh, and th- as the Lord began to speak to my heart and deal with me about my own personal worship and here's the, the awesome thing about Daniel is when they said stop your prayer now think about this for a second let's just take a time out he was going to be thrown to, to lions now, I had a friend in high school that uh, I would dog sit for, and uh, it was a shih tzu. It was a little dog. 
I mean, it was just, it didn't even come up to my ankles. I'm a big person. He just was tiny. And uh, I would watch their dog when they went out of town. And one time they went to Germany for two weeks. And I despised this dog more than anything. I would have just rather turned it into a doorstep or something. I just couldn't stand this dog because I'd come to feed the thing. And it would come and bite me and, and yelp and chase me around the house. So then I was like, well, I'm not going to let it know it's here. I'm going to find sneaky ways to sneak inside the house, whether it's crawl through a window or, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. But that thing was like a heat-seeking bomb. And as soon as I stepped foot, there it was. I couldn't get away from it. And it would bite me and torment me. Bless God. Now imagine being thrown into a den of hungry lions. Now, you got the option. Think about it. Now, let's be real. I know I'd like to think I'm super spiritual all the time, but let's be real. 30 days to stop praising, just temporary. Now, he appealed to his logic. He didn't say this is forever. He appealed to Daniel's logic and said, if you stop praising for 30 days, you can avoid this altogether. Oh, I bet there's people who would uh, think that's a pretty sweet deal. Just stop your praise. Just, just think about it, Daniel. And you might be able to avoid this altogether. And I'm thinking I'm afraid of a little dog. If I know there's lions that haven't been fed weeks upon weeks, ready to just devour me, I'm going to have to think that I would at least for a tenth of a second, if I could just be transparent with you, I would just have to think about it, give it a second thought. Now, I'd like to think that I'd continue, and I'm sure that I would. But if you just think, oh, man, hungry lions. But here's what Daniel said. Here's Daniel's response to the whole situation. He said, well, I've heard about this, but this is what I'm going to do. You want to silence my praise and pass legislation and pass things that are going to prohibit me from worshiping the God who has set me free, the God who has prospered me, the God who has raised me up, the God who has kept me, the God who has redeemed me and kept me and loved me all these times. You want to stop my praise? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to my room. I'm going to open my window, and I'm not going to praise in the midnight hour. I'm not going to praise under my voice and try to I'm going to worship the Lord in spirit. And in I'm going to glorify him with all I got. Not once, not twice, but three times daily facing towards Jerusalem. Daniel said, you're not going to silence my praise. Apparently, you don't know I'm from the tribe of Judah. You want to throw me to a tribe of lions? I come from a tribe. And praise is as much a part of my DNA as anything else. It's as essential to me as the breath I breathe. You are not and will not and cannot steal my praise. Daniel stood up in the midnight hour, and he said, I've got a God who's greater. Even King Darius knew. He said, Daniel, the God who, whom thou praises continually will surely keep you and set you free. Daniel knew that if I just continue to praise the Lord, nothing shall prosper. Nothing can come against me. Nothing can harm me. And even if it does, oh, baby, i got something greater awaiting me. There's nothing going to hold back my praise because I know all too well what the Lord has done for me. There's nothing going to stop my praise. You want to lock me up and throw away the key? That's fine by me. I've already told my wife. I'm a radical Pentecostal. They might have to lock me up and throw away the key, but I'm not going to stop praising. I'm not going to stop preaching because he's done so much for me. And I know if they can stop my praise even for a day, they have won the battle. Daniel was a true worshiper. But if we can read about worship, appropriate worship, proper worship. We can study about, of course, you know, in, uh, what is it, John 4.23, John chapter 4. And it says, that, but the hour cometh and now when the true worshipers, how many believe Daniel was a true worshiper? He shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, you know, I've heard a lot of preaching, and I've read a lot of lectures, and I've read a lot of books about this portion of Scripture that happens to be one of my favorite, and, uh, but it offends a lot of people in, in other ways. 
Matthew 15. Can I just read this next seven scriptures? And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, the first thing this woman did was she petitioned the Lord. Now, I believe that's biblical, is it not? Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, you have not because you ask not. Is that in the Bible? She knew that she, the first thing she needed to do was petition the Lord. She didn't do anything wrong. She did everything right. In fact, she knew that he was son of David. She called him son of David. She was a woman who was at least familiar in some way, shape, or form with the good holy book. She knew what she needed to do. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. She's a nuisance to us, Jesus. If you didn't respond to her, why should we just get her out of my, she's like that dog chasing me around. Just get her away. And he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, it's not time for redemption yet. I'm not here for you. I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So then her response was profound and, and deep in many ways. She came and worshipped him. First she heard no. And then she said, well, I'm going to worship him. How many know we should reserve our praise and worship for God? Which is what she did. But he answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And she said this, truth, Lord, the title of my message tonight, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. She, of course, had some logic and reason here. And I know she had a poetic response to God about uh, the dogs eat from the master's table, the crumbs from the master's table. But she said something profound before she even started with her poem. She said, truth, Lord. She said, in other words, Lord, I surrender to your word. I didn't just come here to worship you in spirit, but I came here, Lord God, to submit and to surrender to your word. Because you have to worship the Lord. True worship comes in the form of spirit and in truth. Now, God knows, and we know all too well, we're professional Pentecostals, and sometimes we know how to praise with the best of them. And I believe Sunday night, we got jiggy with it, whatever you want to say, we got uh, uh, real with God. People were dancing and shouting, bobby pins were turning into ammunition, people were getting their hankies out, people were rolling and speaking in tongues, and we felt God. We worshiped him in spirit, but if we don't worship in spirit and follow it with worship and truth, we have missed the point. If we fail to surrender to God and let the cross change our lives, we have missed the point, the devil is perfectly fine, I believe. Now, Brother Kilman can clean up this theology later. Brother Lopez, uh, Brother Fridley, perhaps you guys can clean up this mess later when I'm out of the room so you don't hurt my feelings maybe. But I believe that God's okay with us stopping halfway. I believe that the Lord is okay with us stopping in a worship service like that. I believe that he's okay with us speaking in tongues and coming down and getting excited in the presence of God. As long, and hear me now, as long as we don't follow it with that dreaded praise in hell. Truth, Lord. When we say truth, Lord, when we surrender to the will and mercy and grace and anointing of God, I believe that the very foundation of hell begins to tremor. I believe the gates of hell begin to fall down. And I believe devil himself begins to find a room to cower in. Because when we say truth, Lord, we call on the name of somebody who's greater. We call upon the name of somebody who's mightier. We call upon the name of someone who every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. I wish somebody knew that when we say Jesus, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, 
bodily. And in his name, there is hope. In his name, there is peace. In his name, there is deliverance. There is no lion that can devour you. There is no enemy that can destroy you as long as you call upon that matchless and wonderful name. Do not tonight. Young adults, I know we're young adults. We've got financial woes. We've got marital stress sometimes. We've got things that come across us at all to, just from every single angle. Do not allow your situation to steal your praise. Don't allow your illness, your transgression. Hear me now. The devil's got no authority over you. You come and like we were talking about the blood of the lamb, you just raise your hands and praise him anyway. I know you made us messed up. I know you made us uh, 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 let sin creep into your life and somehow the devil found his way in like he tempted Eve, but there's still grace that is sufficient for you. And I know about it because there's been grace that has covered my life time in and time out. Depression can't touch you. Job situation can't touch you. Your marriage is crumbling. Just let God come in. Why don't you just invite God? Why don't you just open your window up a little bit and say, well, I'm just not going to, you know, let people know about him. I'm just going to praise him anyhow. In spirit and in truth. I don't believe the Lord in these days. You know, I know we've got these guys who seem to have these revelations and, and uh, they, they, they want to redefine the lines and redefine the borders. And it seems like when they, whenever they began to tamper with those things, that line in the sand that's been there for 2,000 years, that was there uh, from our forefathers, and even uh, more recently, G.T. Haywoods and, and uh, the Paul D. Moonies and all these great men and, and warriors of God who preached in fields and, and uh, put, you know, encountered persecution, they drew these lines there for a reason. They were ordered by God. And now we've got these guys who want to tamper with these, these definitions and tamper with these, these uh, you know, boundaries that have been there for years. And now they want to say, well, maybe we should reevaluate where we're at. Maybe we should, you know, this world is wicked. How are we going to reach people without, you know, even though he called us to be separate, even though he called us out of the world, but we try and look so much like it. I don't understand it. Why are my friends who I hung out with at IBC leaving the word of God and leaving truth in the name of a few numbers? Oh, numbers will come. Numbers are going to come. I believe that. And that's not prophecy. That's just I believe in the Bible. And in the last days, he'll pour out his spirit upon all flesh. I'm not trying to be deep or trying, you know, act like I've got some deep re revelation and work. That's not me at all. You don't understand my personality. I'm not even trying to do it. But what I'm trying to say is those lines were drawn and developed for a reason. I don't mind with, you know, tampering with the methodology. I'm fine with podcasts. I'm fine with the Internet. I'm fine with, uh, you know, PowerPoint material, even though I don't have it. I'm fine with you and all these things to make things, you know, pretty and professional and all that stuff. But do not mess with the message. It is Acts 2.38 that set me free. It is Acts 2.38 that gave me a new beginning. It is the truth that set me free. It is the blood that set me free. And when you take the blood out of the equation, you have missed the mark. I wish somebody knew that when we say truth, Lord, he can heal cancer. When we say truth, Lord, he can give you a job. When you say truth, Lord, he can give you a new beginning. When you say truth, Lord, he can give you deliverance. There is nothing that come against you. Because I You think you got a situation too big? Oh, look at Daniel fighting Goliath. Look at Daniel or David fighting Goliath. Look at Daniel in the lion's den. Somebody just needs to say, oh, yeah, I worship in spirit by God. 
but you can't have spirit without truth, and you can't have truth without spirit. They go hand in hand, and a true worshiper understands that, and a true worshiper understands I'm going to bend everything in my life to abide by the word of God. I submit and surrender to this holy text because this is the only thing in this world that is forever settled, that is not changeable, that is not, that is not flawed. It is the only thing in my life that is perfect. Is this okay? Uh, and I, I'm going to close here, but I do want to close with talking about outreach a little bit. Just a quick couple stories. Hopefully I'm not too short. I was telling a story uh, before preaching tonight. I preached at a church down in southern Indiana on a Saturday night service, and uh, just a smattering of people. And I preached hard for about 30 minutes. And I was done, and I was calling for music and, you know, getting ready for altar call. And uh, a man in the back corner stood up, and apparently he disagreed with the time to close. And he said to me, and he screamed to where everybody could hear him, uh, fortunately. And he said, is that all you got for us tonight? Oh, humiliating. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So uh, fortunately, I had notes. And I don't know if this was the right thing to do or not, but I just started belting stuff out for another 15 minutes. I hope it was coherent. But I just wanted to please him. I didn't want him to think he got ready on the Saturday night to just come here, you know, 30-minute sermon. I really thought I nailed it, but that's all right. Bless that man. So I don't know. Do we have altar call in, in, in young adults? Somebody can make their way to their music. Uh, I just want to share a story with you. And I'm sure that many of you have heard this story before about Katie Genovese. Does that name ring a bell? If you've read uh, Malcolm Gladwell, you've, you've read about this story, whether you remember it or not. But I took, you know, I, I got a degree from IUPY, and I heard this story more times than I would like to admit. It's just it's a very popular story, and especially freshman and sophomore year of, of school. And uh, there's this woman, Katie Genovese, and I forget the details of the story. So if I get this slightly wrong, just uh, I'm getting old, I guess, you know. So. Forgive me for not knowing all the details and particulars. But there was this woman in, in New York City. She was making her way home, and she was almost home to her apartment complex when she was attacked. New York City, it happens all the time, right? Probably every single day she was getting attacked. And the man who was attacking her didn't just want her purse and to leave it at that, but he started to, to kill her. He wanted to hurt her. And it was a long struggle. She was fighting for her life with all that she had. She pushed him off. She fought away. She got away one time, actually. And she screamed out. And this battle went on for some time. 32 people, in fact, heard this woman screaming and crying out for help. Help me, save me, somebody, was her cry. Somebody intervene. I'm dying. 32 people heard that cry. The sickening thing about that situation is not one person picked up the phone and called the police. Not one person went outside to try and do anything. They just did nothing. And so unfortunately, Katie, Katie Genovese's life that night was tragically and horribly robbed from her. Her breath was no longer able to pass through her lungs. Her heart no longer beat it again. And of course, you know, many psychologists ate the story up. Well, was this because the harsh lifestyle of New York City was the first thought, right? That's what I thought when I was reading the story and hearing it for the first time. Surely this is because New York is such a cruel 
and hard and harsh environment to live in. But when they ran tests and when they did their analysis, they were conclusive that the reason she lost her life that night was because everybody else thought everybody else was going to call the police. They were waiting for somebody else to save her life. They were waiting on somebody else, perhaps their neighbor, who they knew could hear the the horrid cries and the screams of the evening to call 911. And so they sat idle and said, well, surely, surely somebody else is going to make the call. So they did nothing. I was here around lunchtime about a month and a half ago, and I'm sure... Brother Fridley and I, I, you know, I used to help out at the Jesus House years ago for two or three years. And Brother uh, Lopez, I know you guys are familiar with this, this scene, but it just struck me to the heart. This young woman walked into Calvary's front doors, and she made her way, and I was on my way out. And uh, some of the ministry was there. Brother Mooney was there, in fact. And he, she, she came up to Brother Mooney, and she just started crying. And she was wearing, you know, clothes, and I could see scars giant scars down her chest all over her arms now this could have been anything I don't know what happened to her it could have been a car accident it could have been anything but it just made me think about Katie Genovese and she walked into the front doors of Calvary and she just started to cry her blue eyes she couldn't even get words out of her mouth and her eyes welled up with tears and anguish and pain and brother Mooney came and put his arm around her and he said young lady do you need prayer are you okay And all she could do was nod her head no. And I felt like she was just saying to pastor that day, I'm dying. I'm dying right now. And later, Brother Mooney said, he said, you know, Brother Chris, that's every single day, all day long at Calvary Tabernacle. People from Fountain Square, people from around these neighborhoods, people from these areas walking in, barely making it. And they're dying. I believe I know what that young woman was looking for. I want to reference another article here. Again, I don't have the citation. I read it out of a Dinesh D'Souza book. And it was talking, this was a secular man writing about the churches and the growth, or actually the decline of the American church. Mega churches built for thousands, barely housing hundreds. Churches across this, this great country that we live in. Dying, shutting the doors, closing up shops. Because people are falling away from the Christian church today. Their praise in my heart I felt like was being silenced. And I almost started weeping upon the book right then. But then I turned the, turned the page because I realized the last uh, pronunciation mark was a comma, not a period. And it said, but this. There is this type of religion called Pentecost. And these churches, for whatever reason, despite the decline in America, are booming across the world storefronts highways byways alley corners home missions calvary tabernacle is being flooded with people looking for truth if we realign the lines and if we take truth away from them to be more like them we have missed the mark if we hide the cross from them we have missed their salvation if we hide jesus and the blood of the lamb from them if we hide our worship from them 
We have failed miserably. And their blood, I believe, is upon our hands. But the reason I love to be a part of Calvary Tabernacle and under the authority and the ministry of Pastor Paul D. Mooney is because I know that that man will stand up and lead me in the ways of holiness and lead me in the ways of righteousness without compromise. And I even bring this, this last part up about outreach because I know my audience here. You're in meetings with me. We're meetings together. We're a part of a team. And I just believe somebody, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a coworker, is just waiting for somebody, one of us, to take the spoon out and to say, here, I dip this in the word of God. Here's a little truth. I know you've been fed lies. I know you've been led down this road time and time again. I know that you've been led all sorts of different distracting ways. But I'm not one who's going to close up my window and stop praising and worshiping the Lord. You can come into this house. You will experience the power of God. You will experience the anointing of of one who's able. One who's able to touch your life. One who's able to heal your body. One who's able to meet your need. But beyond all that, he's able to save your soul. The devil's okay with us tonight, young adults, stopping halfway. But we must continue to worship, not just in spirit, but in truth. And if you'll stand with me tonight. I don't know where you feel most comfortable praying. I know that Brother Anderson preached a profound and extremely deep message in Youth World not too long ago about the chaos of the world. And he said simply this in summary. When the world is chaotic, it is time to build an altar. I know I'm dealing, I'm preaching to saints here. I know I'm preaching to Holy Ghost filled, fiery anointed men and women of God tonight. But let us take the example of the Apostle Paul and say, I die to my flesh daily. I'm willing to take the time to make another altar. This world is chaotic. So whether that's at your seat or up front here, perhaps you want prayer, we can pray for you. Perhaps you uh, have a need, we can, you know, pray for your need. But whatever it is, let's just pray now in Jesus' name, God. In Jesus' name, Lord God, you have set us free. You have anointed us. You have called us out, Lord. You have made a way when there was no way. You have brought us out of the Mari clay, Lord God. You have set our feet, Jesus, on a rock, God, a rock of truth. We know who you are. We're privileged to know your oneness and your name tonight, Lord Jesus.